Dearly beloved, we are gathered here to witness the birth of another podcast. But not just any podcast. This one communicates with the dead. You heard me right, everyone that features on this show has left this mortal coil and is now communicating from the great beyond. I am the Efkin Guy, your celebrant and guide on this journey. This journey that proves death is not the end. On today's show, he's Mr. Records and Bands, and the Lone Wolf. He is Rob Jones. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Thank you for having me today. Um, I feel quite honoured to have been asked, so cheers. Yeah, it's the first show of Death Is Not The End. Uh, so give the people a quick intro to your stuff. Make it fast, but sexy. Oh, I don't know about sexy. <laughs> uh, I can certainly do fast. You can ask my wife about that. Um, yeah, everything's at recordsandbands.com. That's the easiest place to find me. Thank you. Cool. cool. Are you starting your own record label this year? That's the idea I've sort of... I've always sort of been adjacent to bands and always been interested in actually putting something out into the world. So I'm going to help my brother with the next Alvin and the Angry Barrels EP, which is coming out in a couple of months. And hopefully from that, that will generate enough money or it might break even to put into another project. So I've got, I've got a certain amount of money I can put in, into each project and hopefully... If we can make that back, I can. That then goes into the next project, and I've got half an idea on a couple of a couple of things for the second project, which is going to be like a little compilationy punk EP for either Hereford, which is where I'm from and where my brother lives, or the Dorset scene where I live now. So, whereabouts can we find that then? You got the Twitter and the yeah, that's LostHikerRecords.com. And it's all new and shiny. It'd be great if we weren't dead, because we are. Yeah, bad timing. Uh, Currently, for the benefit of those who are unable to watch live from beyond, we're standing next to some gates, and to get beyond them, we're going to have to do a few things. You're going to have to do a few things. You spoke to my lovely assistant, Kendra, with a cue, and she just handed me your paperwork. Seconds. Paperwork. Yeah, uh, there you go. All right, uh, you're not supposed to be processed till the next show. This is awkward. It says here that uh, before I can rightly judge people, I too must be judged and go through the trials. Um, you fancy doing it? I'll give you the sheet. I'll say I'll have a go. Pass it over. Okay, there you go. Right, no promises. I shall do my best. Oh, jeez. Okay. Oh. So unprepared. Wasn't expecting this. Fuck you, Kendra. <laughs> With a Q. <laughs> right. So I've got a few things I want to ask you before we get into it. Okay, go ahead. So a lot of your podcast work has had an element of death about it, or at least some kind of apocalypse, which I suppose is mega death. Um, yeah. So is that a theme that you just have as like, a really good plot device like automatic stakes in the game or is it something you spend a healthy or unhealthy amount of time thinking about generally oh i think plot and easy way of getting people into a situation the first show we did on it was uh, apocalypse vacation because i needed something to like a quiz to 
get people on and I didn't have to do as much work as I was doing. So it's like, okay, six questions, that'd be great. And the idea come from a, um, a Douglas Copeland book. I cannot remember which one it was where they played a game in it. Where it's like, okay, you're going into space and surviving the human race and you take six things with you. And then what happens is that ship blows up and all those six things you take with you were destroyed. And it's like, okay, you have to take a smaller ship and you can only take three things with you. And you save the three things and then those three things get blown up. And then the final ship is like, oh, we've got a special super emergency ship. And then you get to take one thing with you. Everything that you've taken before has gone. So if you said all the media in the world, that was gone on the first ship. Take friends and family. That's gone. And it breaks it down to what you would really take. So that was the general idea with that. And then after that, it kind of spun off into this is actually a really good plot device, like you say. And you can work it into little quizzes and find out what makes people tick. Because the idea is stupid. Like, okay, you're going to go into space and take six things and use some trivia, which is a bit goofy. But it makes you think what people would actually take with them and what they actually cherish. So if you took six things with you and there's a quiz, it's like, okay, you have to sacrifice one thing. What one thing would you sacrifice? And then two things and three things. And it comes down to which thing is worth more out of all six of the things you took. So it's, like you say, good plot device. And not that I'm halfway to death. And I haven't got it in my mind a lot. That's right. It's, 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 not, a, <laughs> it's not a thing that's always haunting you at the back of your mind. No, no, not really. In 40s, I think I'm halfway there. Yeah, but yeah, you've got a long way to go. <laughs> um, death and religion, I suppose, go hand in hand. They're kind of obvious bedfellows. It's yeah. probably like religion's probably big spoon. Mm. Um, do you find any comfort in faith? Like, do you seek or do you seek comfort in faith, or do you buy into any of the ideas of an afterlife that maybe have come from religious? teachings for want of a better word i'm jealous of people who actually believe in it you know the whole afterlife where you got something to it's like a backup plan it's like i'm gonna be good in this life but you know if it doesn't work out i've got i've got the afterlife to fall back on i'd like to sort of go there and you've got somewhere to go afterwards so it's like a thing of i'm kind of jealous of people who are like really into religion and the ones are actually nice during lifetime as well, rather than the ones that are like, you're going to go to hell, you're going to go to hell, I'm going to do this, and, and, and my God's better than your God kind of thing. But yeah, the idea of like the afterlife and karma and coming back, it's a great thing to believe in, and I'd like to have some faith in that, but I don't. I'm like super mega atheist believing in science. Mm-hmm. When we die, that is it. So if faith is... If you describe faith as belief in something when all evidence points to the contrary is there something that you do have faith in i sadly have a bit of faith in the human race to to a degree i've got like this thing of like um we can all get along on earth and we can just put down the guns put down the weapons not have to fight we can share the earth and we can all get along perfectly fine in an anarchist society or anarchistic society where there is no rules and it's not that anarchistic society people think you have where it's like just violence and people killing and raping and pillaging that kind of stuff it's like everyone just goes okay we've got no governors no masters no bosses let's just get along i can do this you can do that okay we can share resources help each other out and i have that 
faith that people are good and can be good, but evidence has proved contrary to that. So I've had a, a conversation with a guy I worked with who was very much uh, against the idea that we could possibly, in a theoretical universe, all get along and just live peacefully with each other to the point where he's like, oh, you'd have to shoot me to get that reality. And I'm like, why? Oh, you'd have to shoot me to get that. Why? <laughs> who's out Who's out there to get you? Who's out to get you? Yeah. It's like, oh, you need weapons. It's like, why? Because someone else is going to have a weapon. Yeah, but they're nice people. They're not going to use it on me. But they will. But they won't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but you'd have to shoot. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I'll shoot you then. Oh, see, you're violent. It's like, you kind of you're not helping yourself here. No, that's someone who has no faith in love or kindness. Yeah, or very much a case of that. Positive. So I think to get that society, you need people to actually volunteer and go right. I'm going to round up all the wrong ones and do them in, and then at the end of it, find a nice little island and go off and take myself there and not interact with normal society and just or just kill yourself because it's like, well, I'm a monster. I'll admit you're a monster. Again, far-fetched theoretical universes. But yeah, I have faith in humans to a certain degree. You did mention somewhere back in there about being a massive atheist. Mm. But as kids, we grow up believing in lots of unknowables, like, like Father Christmas, for instance. You know, he, like as kids, we didn't have any money. My parents didn't have any money. So like, where did all the presents come from? And like, the tooth fairy would leave 50p under your pillow, but that couldn't be my parents because dad needed them 50p's for the electric meter. So there had to be some magic. So for you, was there, was there some point where, like with religion, um, where you kind of went, oh, hang on a minute, or do you think it was just like a series of this doesn't add up? Because I, I, I think as kids we are brought up in this country to think about it at least. Yeah, I mean, I was raised in Church of England, which is like the most apathetic for religions there is. Hmm. It's like uh, the Eddie's Zard sketch, uh, cake or death. Like, a cake? <laughs> it's, it's not much of an option. It's like, if you don't want to believe in God, they go, okay, cool, no worries. Still want to come to church with us? Because we'll, we'll... The, the church I was with was quite open, and apparently one of the vicars after I left, did sermons and he was talking about to people who didn't believe in God and was like, yeah, it's fine. We love you anyway, which is a pretty decent church. I think they had a gay vicar at one point as well, quite early on. Um, but yeah, it's there wasn't much to really get my teeth into with it. It's like uh, in school, Church of England school, doing the assemblies with the vicars and explaining stuff. And it's okay. Yeah, not even... And my first year, I think I was like, "Yeah, this isn't, this doesn't work. It's not real." But yeah, the Bible's got some stories in it, which quite quite good. <laughs> you, can, you can learn some stuff from it. It's, it's a great sort of moral compass if people guide you that way, rather than see, speaking about the fear of God. It's like all saying all the good things Jesus and God does. It's like, yeah, it's a great learning tool. You've got to wonder what the world would be like without that sort of. Like the moral compass of religious teachings, religious texts to guide people. Would that would we have that anarchy that you spoke of earlier? Possibly, but it's much like it's going to so long now. There's no way of actually knowing. I mean, how long would it take us to? Oh, geez, I keep 
I go on about this, but yeah, we have people who believe in the flat Earth still, and there's like all the evidence to the contrary on that. And like, I think that's more again rather than still, to be honest. Yeah, it's. Oh, I'll get onto that a little bit, but uh, yeah, it's barn doors are open, the pulses are bolted, kind of thing. And I don't think there'll be a, a time when, especially in my lifetime, in your lifetime, and your kids' lifetime, that we won't have a religion sort of dominating things. I mean, American politics at the moment is kind of run by it. Or at least some of it is. Yeah, someone dropped the phrase Christian fascists in my podcast the other day. I'm like, there's first for that. <laughs> so it's definitely on the rise. Um, yeah. According to this paperwork, you reckon you want to get into heaven. So should we try and get you there? You think you're worth, you're, you think you're worthy of coming into the kingdom? Yeah, I'll, I'll get into the uh, kingdom of heaven, whatever that is. It's, it's very much a case of, well, it's going to be like fluffy clouds and people playing harps and um, friends and family all gathered around you. And it's like, nah, just can you sort of go on your own cloud and sort of communicate by email? <laughs> I'll Zoom call you if I need you. There's a terrible joke there about cloud. We won't go there. Um, so you know and... you're a dad. <laughs> <laughs> believe the paper says it's uh i have to tell the story of my life with uh eight seven tracks and then an eighth one for the special thing at the end of it like the end credits the final scene how i wanted it to play out um yeah so seven tracks okay right excellent so how does our story begin okay so the film starts a close-up of a bunch of audio equipment old 80s clunky as fuck analog equipment big dials Loads of numbers on them. Half of them you won't use. All stained with cigarette smoke. Cigarette smoke in the air. It's all hazy. I hate smoking, but yeah, it's a great visual thing for films. We lost a lot when we stopped smoking in films. He gets to a record player and a piece of vinyl has been placed down on it and the arm is placed down gently and it starts to play this. Lovely bit of synth pop. I found that Leonard Cohen is called Pop. I, I don't know how that's possible. But yeah, the film starts. It's the bat, and it's me talking into a mic into a small room as I proceed to tell the story of my life for a podcast. Very meta. <laughs> this is uh, 1988 from the album I'm Your Man synth pop rocking yeah love this track it's got a proper midnight caller type vibe so these dolls being tweaked and the smoke in the air uh, this scene is the opening of my movie and it's a homage slash rip off direct rip off of the film Pump Up the Volume so Christian Slater plays a teenager who's disillusioned and feels out of place in the world to turn to his radio equipment to voice his dissatisfaction with the world using a slightly offensive pseudonym sounds familiar so <laughs> <laughs> uh, in my film I've been to say was a tale of my school life we flash back to a similar situation sans radio equipment and this cutesy manic dream girl romance uh, this song is all about how the world is always got the odds stacked against you the dice are loaded the dealer always wins there's no way you're going to win and for me in school I can relate to this I've been told in English literature class what William Golding meant when he wrote Lord of the Flies you know how society is built 
around groups trying to be civilized but then left to their own devices it descends into chaos and the stronger taking control by force because of insecurities etc etc uh, taking over the quieter people and forcing their will on them. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, great. A bunch of kids left without a strong authority figure would essentially lead gangs, or lead to gang fighting and most violence. Would probably suppress the quieter members. Yeah, I can relate to that because the two kids sitting next to me beat the shit out of me during lunch break and the teachers did nothing about it. Thanks. So, yeah, um, that along with my guidance counsellor saying comic books the only thing I actually enjoyed doing would lead to nothing in the future because comics weren't relevant and would never be relevant 1980s mega for creativity wasn't it <laughs> I said the 90s thank you Mrs Thatcher yeah no. 95 I left school and I got that talk about comic no. books will never lead to anything at all and now we, here we are in 2023 and comic yeah. books are on a downturn but still a massive business mm. So whoever said the school years are the happiest of your life and never got the shit panelled out of them on a regular basis and their dreams shat on by the teachers. Happiest years of my life were the years I had between sacking off school and finally being forced into employment. Like I had two and a half years where I didn't do anything. I just sat around the house and mooched off my parents. Getting a caffeine addiction and not sleeping. Also, massive sounds. Yeah, yeah. Say that sounds wonderful. <laughs> it's brilliant. Don't we wish for that life now, though? <laughs> oh, it's like masturbating furiously to whatever media could find featuring scantily clad ladies. Yes, yes, I do that. It's a lot easier to find. I had half days. an hour before you dropped on here. So. <laughs> yeah, and watching TV till the test card come up, which um, is what happened when TV ran out, kids. Uh, these are like the most informative years of my life because I saw so much cool shit late night on Channel 4 on ITV BBC not so much this song is from Pump Up The Volume like I said a film that left a lasting impression obviously uh, there was a documentary called Spin about satellite signals that a guy recorded over the course of the 92 election period which is a really weird documentary that I barely remember and it had like because it's like about governments and politics and media the way they sort of twisted fiends and turned things and span it and then sort of manipulate the news a certain way um, it's like candidates being shot at debates deliberately when you watch a documentary it's like yeah this guy has the best ideas and policies and stuff and they just shut him out of the election completely so yeah um, is that one of those because you had been similar age to me so there's things that we watch at that age that really inform how we go on further in life so like for me I very much buy into Oliver's, Oliver Stone's take on JFK <laughs> and, and the assassination because that was massive at the time and it's like yeah he's got to be right he's got to be right so <laughs> do you think that informs going forward yeah you look at the world and I think I mean the JFK one if you look up line about that yeah. and search it, it's like yeah it's Oliver Stone took a lot of liberties on that yeah I know that now I'm 44. <laughs> but yeah, it does does, yeah. does inform your stuff. I, I actually watched that documentary last night, waiting for the you being dead. I looked it up on, <laughs> on the, the YouTube equivalent in up here. And it's, it's still pretty good. I mean, there's probably lots of documentaries on YouTube similar to it, but yeah, it's worth checking out. It's, it's very weird. But yeah, that was one of the things I watched and I remembered. Um, and then a week later after that, uh, they live on the show on TV big 
formative moment in my media consumption. Mm. Cult movies, you know, looking outside the mainstream. And, and the message of that film is obviously general distrust of governments, a shady government elite. Some of those, those things combined, my disillusionment in society in general, I could have gone down a much different, darker path, especially these days. You say the way people with kids consuming media and following certain people and not getting the right idea. I don't know. Thinking about it, it's like how I got out of that one. I think it's because I know They Live is not a documentary and, and John Carpenter was just making a film. Entertainment, and the other one was more like, well, you're not being lied to. You're just not being... It's what they're not saying. And yeah. So those things kind of stuck out with me. And that's my educational upbringing. That's how I get the general distrust of things, but not like to the super conspiracy theory point of it. Mm. It's like you'll 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 happily sit down and watch um, hypernormalization, that sort of thing. The Adam Curtis film that's about five days long, but <laughs> like you're not going on a five day bender down an Alex Jones rabbit hole. Is that yeah? Maybe it's maybe it's the way stuff's presented. I don't know, but yeah, it might be. I mean, there's no follow up on it. I couldn't just go down the YouTube rabbit hole back then. It was like this documentary. Come on and watch it. Fall back and went took away what i needed to from it that's my educational upbringing and why i think yeah i'm kind of completely against conspiracy theories because hmm. and school shit as well though isn't it hmm. school's horrible like my kids are up there at the minute and like none of them are having a none of them are having a nice time the system's broken sorry you don't need this today <laughs> Like, the system's broken. Like, my boy's in the middle of his GCSEs, and he hasn't had a proper science lesson for five weeks. Because they've yeah. not got the... Anyway, yeah, sorry. I, mean, I think schools in general, it's a case of you're given a textbook to memorise, and that works in science and maths. Mm. But when it comes to English, it's like you kind of need a bit more leeway on stuff because yeah. everyone's interpretation of things is different. And art is subjective. And yeah. my artwork, when I was doing it, comic book stuff, and my art teacher was like, no, that's terrible. So you finished school. You're in, you're um, hanging out at Having a your parents' place. Two and a half years. Yeah. Unemployed. Bumming around the place. And then, you, and then is it, boy, you need a J-O-B. Is that what comes <laughs> next? No, essentially my mum went, uh, right, got a job at my place, cleaning the school. Here you go. Boom. Turn up. Brilliant. And I did that for a bit, and it was a great job. Just cleaning the place, put some headphones in, listen to music. And then my life kind of started when I started wrestling. And yeah, a bit of a party fail here. Born to be wild. Uh, track that's possibly one of the most overused things in media and has been parodied to death. It comes from the album Greatest Rock Hits of All Time. Every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I generally skip this track, but it pops up any time on the radio or on some playlist because it's so overplayed, but it is quite good. I listen to it for this, and it's like, yeah, the guitar riff is good, but then you got the bass and the drums and all the organ, no, all the gets a spot to shine. This is a great track, and uh, this song kicks in in the movie as I walk up to the doors of Hammerlock Wrestling in Sittingbourne for my first week long wrestling camp. Wicked. Uh, it's not my first session, to be fair, but narratively it works better in the film if I go in dry. Uh, my first training session was actually uh, what was it May seventeenth, nineteen nine, 
which if you're a wrestling historian is quite famous for the day Owen Hart tragically died live on pay-per-view. Maybe you should have taken that as a sign. I want to laugh at that, but I feel really bad about it. <laughs> so yeah, pro wrestling, a uh, fawny subject these days for me, but yeah, it's definitely the point in which my life the gear and I actually did something. I started wrestling during the dark ages of British wrestling. Because you got the World of Sport era, then you got the NXT UK era. And in between there's uh, 15, 20 years? But there was a little spike of interest in the middle of that. And at that time I think I was there was maybe three schools in the entire country. And in comparative to where there were five operating in London just before lockdown. That's a big mm. change. It seems to be a real vibrant scene at the moment as well. Yeah. It like did across the country, drop so. off a little bit after NXT UK because so many guys got signed up. But yeah, it's, it's still pretty big. Place I went was Hamlock, which was affiliated with the NWA. Yeah, so I wrestled in the same place Ric Flair has. <laughs> I thought you meant um, Ice Cube. <laughs> different worlds. Very different worlds. Yeah. Sitting born in Compton. <laughs> But yeah, in 99, it still had a sense of kayfabe still. And kayfabe for the uninitiated is uh, people treating it as real. Uh, not full on, but if you took the piss, you'd get a slap. And you'd have an old guy, older guy shoot on you in the ring to smarten you up a little. Or just essentially get you to fuck off. Which is very frowned upon these days if you sort of bully someone in school. But back then, it's like, yeah, it's just the culture in it. Now, that first week, we trained in a tiny gym... Um, slept in the same gym, ate in the same same gym, and drunk quite a bit in the same gym. Uh, started off with a class of 50 that week, and then they do about 15, because some people just weren't built for it, and some people got scared off by the midnight shenanigans. Uh, Johnny Moss, who's currently training people in the NXT, was one of the main trainers at the time, and he's a fucking menace of a man. Right. But yeah, it's, you don't be the first one to fall asleep around him. Uh, over the course of the week, I broke a rib, I think, but kept on going. Uh, it took me a few weeks to get right again after that, but I headed straight back for more. And uh, yeah, this song is. Oh, Cactus Jack used it on the indie circuit. On Cactus Jack, Mankind, Mick Foley. Um, we did like a load of tape trading back then. We were rather watching like ECW and a load of Jap- Japanese stuff. Um, there's some other random things that isn't even on the WWE network but Cactus Jack used that as an intro music and he was like my idol back then another bad sign really but I just like his ability to get up after getting the crap knocked out of him uh, the Hell in the Cell match with him and the Undertaker where he got thrown off the top of it twice and got back up it's like yeah it's really inspiring I really like that I want to get, be part of that um yeah, can you talk about that? Can you talk a little bit about that decision-making process between like that that goes from that looks really good on the telly to actually walking up to the door? And I'm presume presumably you're handing over money for this wrestling camp. Yeah, like, it's, it's like anything. Like you enjoy watching people play a gig, so it's like, I'm going to pick up a guitar. There's not a lot of thought process. It's like I fancy doing that. I'm right. Give it a go. And I think the bigger thought process is like after that first week when you're kind of like bad and bruised. You've got to be into some serious, like, um, there's going to be some serious issues there with people who do it. I think a lot of people who do it have, like, that sort of, in the background, don't mind some self-abuse or self-harm. 
Because, hmm. yeah, it is like doing falling backwards and trying not to hurt yourself, but it does hurt to a degree. Did the physical battering, was that, did that kind of induce some kind of like emotional catharsis of a sort as well, though? If you've got all this pent up from having a really shit time at school. Yeah. Does then, like, is there something in getting the shit kicked out of you in a safe environment that helps deal with some of that stuff? I don't know. I'm not even sure what I'm getting at, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, you do martial arts and um, anything legitimate, like actually you go in there and you're trying to knock out the other person. Even in a controlled environment, you're taught to not get hurt. Like even like karate and judo, you get thrown around, so it's like okay, they say you bump and whatever. But you essentially, if you're having a judo contest, you're just trained not to get hurt. With pro wrestling, you're being trained to actually possibly get hurt. And like I say, bumping on stuff is bumping in the ring back then was um, probably a lot different to what it is now. Like it's going to be like the Monty Python old man sketch. It's like back in my day. It was just boards over a trampoline with some carpet underlay. And it fucking was. It was just a thin piece of carpet underlay, underneath a canvas, which was on top of a bunch of uh, plywood boards over a slightly strong, as a sprung trampoline kind of spring under some metal girder kind of. Yeah, if you look at the rings up, it's like, yeah, we did that with some carpet underlay. And nowadays it's like the judo mats on top of that. And it's like, it's better. And then it's, judo mats and you sort of see people's feet sink into stuff especially back then you kind of watch videos of things it's like the feet are sinking into that ring that's probably lovely again old so, at the end, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so at the end of that it was a week-long camp you say so at the end of that week you go back yeah again and again and again and eventually i'll get my first show it's in telford that's the place. I've been through Telford because <laughs> I drove up there in the back of a transit with no windows. However many hours that was, it five, six hours? Uh, got out, unloaded the ring, got into the rumble at the end of the night, uh, come second, almost won it, almost won it. Um, the last spot was the guy dumped me on the ring apron and then drop kicked me and I did a full back bump off the ring apron to the floor. Uh, and then... Load up the ring, got in the back of the transit van, come back to London. <laughs> yeah, with uh, zero light back there, because, you know, before mobile phones, just chatting with the guy I was stuck back there with. Thankfully, no injuries come from that, but there were plenty to come over the years. Moving on, shall we move? Are we ready to move on? Yeah, I'll be moving on. Okay, next song. Um, Missing Cleveland, Scott Wayland. What a guy. Okay, uh, this one's off Happy in Galashes, his second solo album. Uh, this is when he was sober for a bit. Uh, it's an odd song, but the chorus kicks in and you kind of forget that he's talking about snow and bars in Cleveland and Martian chimpanzees. But this song, though, it's all about the ladies I ever loved. Many of them. My kid. <laughs> this is about growing up, um, that growing up moment in a relationship. Um... So lyrically, the song is kind of bonkers. We're all just monkeys, really. And when it comes to relationships, it's like monkeys going to a different planet and trying to figure out how to get along with the inhabitants. We're just normal men. We're just innocent men. 
and we long for the familiarity of life when it wasn't so complex dealing with another person's emotions and and then we when you get it all figured out another thing gets thrown to mix and you just can't handle it and get out of there so the monkey and the martian chimpanzee analogy mixed uh, with scott's desire to have a comfortable life at the quiet bars of cleveland where everyone knows your name and ultimately the idea of kids scares them away from the relationship but yeah it's that one relationship with if finally have a moment of growth or you should have done and go from being this immature kid fucking around in life and actually sort of taking things seriously I spoke about it on your show a while back mm. uh, I got a met at work who's already in a relationship I took a chance and asked her out once and yeah she did yes I always joked the dude was in a wheelchair and I stole her from him wasn't the case he only had one arm which is funny if I say wheelchair <laughs> I don't feel bad saying that actually because he, uh, he held that fact over her when she was trying to leave him it's like emotional blackmail and it's eventually why we broke up first time so after a six week tryst the date of other people and they all ended really awkwardly and badly because I was a dick who refused to grow up and then got a bit clingy. Um, so each of them was uh, like an immature relationship, it was just like fucking around and having fun. And a year later, I uh, got a new phone. Again, kids ask your parents about this one. Old phones didn't save names and numbers usually. This one, however, saved all the numbers from my SIM card, put it onto my new phone, and I had all these random numbers pop up, I put it into my new phone. And no names attached but I figured them out okay this one's Phil this one's Jay that's Tom but there's one that I couldn't figure out so uh, new number who this turns out it's that girl and she's single fucking result so we meet up and I'm expecting just to resume where we were but that's not going to happen unless I've shown some growth and we end up having like long deep conversations over the course of this uh, one evening together topic of uh, kids come up uh, she just bought a house looking to get a career going and start a family and this is like a fully grown up conversation I'm like a 22, 23 year old guy I was like let's just drink cheap cider and fuck so yeah after that we drifted apart uh, she did most of the drifting as I kept swimming after her and until she wisely put a motor on that raft and sped away as quickly as fucking possible and I can't blame her because yeah I say I got a bit clingy with people um see my behaviour back then a lot to be ashamed of with relationships and this one isn't like the story of the one that got away but the one I feel the worst about because the way they acted and behaved afterwards and I've treated people similarly 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 never say that word but I've been fortunate enough to speak to them afterwards and pay the penance for it and admit I was an arse and they've kind of been alright with it and we've got along uh, but this one I can't really I contact them now and go yeah hey it's me you know the guy who practically stalked you 20 years ago yeah I track you down using the resources of the internet how mm. are you doing that's the alarm bells yeah um but yeah, it's, was it's, it... it's the one who, who tried to make me grow and I just acted like a dumb fucking kid on it. Was it the 
start in the family that was really the sticking point for you? I didn't even think of it back then. Right. Just... It's kind of that retrospect a couple of years later. I was like, ah, that was possibly why. And then the other stuff happened afterwards. It was like, you could have just had, like, been a friend with someone. It's being friend zoned and not accepting it and then trying to push more and then just being annoying and, like, it's her giving more and more excuses why she can't hang out and, you know, why I shouldn't be turning up at her workplace. Some people, and this could be me making massive assumptions, some people feel that they need other people like to, or they need to be in a relationship to be a normal person, mm. or to be, to be, to almost to make them whole, and that might just be for a spell. But do you think there's anything in that with you? Then, um, no, I just wanted to have sex. Okay, <laughs> there's me getting all the <laughs> trying to get all deep and meaningful, and no. yeah, I don't know. It's, it's young me. I probably can't think to what I was my motivations were yeah. for it. I remember those bits though and it's like, uh, yeah. Fuck. But it's a powerful thing. Mm. Especially if you if, if you haven't had it and then you have some of it and then it you don't have any of it again, you think, oh hang on a minute. I'm talking about sex again, just just to clarify. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think it's because I got along with them so well. And like yeah. you think they're the one kind of thing. And then you fuck it up and then yeah, just spend the rest of life feeling a bit shitty about it. But talking about acting like a dumb fucking kid. Go on. Rob, you ever had one of those days where you don't want to wake up, everything is fucked, everybody sucks, you don't really know why, but you just want to justify ripping someone's head off. No human contact, and if you interact, your life is on contract. <laughs> your best bet is to stay away, motherfucker. It's just one of those days. Well... As a child, of, as a child, as, as a parent of teenagers, it's most days. But fuck, I didn't yeah. need, that, need that written down. I know this song. So this is my life for a number of years in my twenties. Break stuff by Limp Biscuit. See you cringing. <laughs> so new metal. Uh, it's music for punk kids back then, but they had a bit more money than the punk kids usually had and a lot more questionable fashion fashion choices Jenko jeans are amazing fucking comfortable not good in the rain though uh, no more brash annoying band as Limp Bizkit though and they kind of personify this era of music I was kind of half into them back then but now I've got to admit they've got some fucking bangers it's like a completely we- immature Bullshit punks who, um, essentially rich kids, isn't it? Really, rich kids it's, thinking they're angry and yeah. like it's, and it's ang- it's like we've spoken about them biscuit before on records and bands, and it's lots of the music we listen to is angry, but it's directed at something, whereas the biscuit just seems to be anger for the sake of it. <laughs> Yeah, and that, that's my sticking point for it. They're, like, if they could direct it at a cause or even a slogan, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, break stuff because you're angry. Why are you angry? Shut up, mum. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, if I met my 25 year old self now, I really hate me. Uh, be a bit of an obnoxious, self righteous prick. 
but there was a slight sort of conscious of morality and treating not treating people like shit behind it as well so a weird mix um so it's a combination of wanting people to be treated right and underhanded snarkiness i wouldn't actually do any like good things with what i knew like trying to make things are right like I just sort of talk about the guy behind their back and hang out with the losers uh, essentially meant I would self-sabotage pretty much every opportunity I had and if I let one thing go I'd have probably had a completely different life but then I might hate myself in a different way because I sat back and didn't talk about someone behind their back and hang out with those losers who ended up being a lot of my mates for a very long time how you doing Jay? Yeah, I'm a dick, but I'm not taking all the blame for this because some people deserved it. Uh, uh, along with that attitude, uh, and like it felt like a desire to self sabotage every turn, looking back now. Um, it's like you're saying about the wrestling where it's like you're getting beaten up and there's uh, some sense of self abuse and self harm with it. I used to cut myself occasionally on that stuff, like self harm. Um, but the great news was with wrestling, you kind of destroyed your body doing that. So you're always in some sort of pain anyway. And I said some people have that. I think a lot of wrestlers have that kind of thing where they don't mind it or enjoy it to a certain extent. But I was like doing stuff really stupidly. It's like taking a bump off the apron onto the concrete floor. And it's like that was just the first night doing it. And my first match I was going to have with someone, solo match, was like, okay, uh, can you suplex me over the top rope through that table? And that was the plan. Until they changed the match, I think they may have heard what I was planning to do. They went, yeah, just don't do that. I was, yeah. And if you, I used to do things on nights out as well, which were a bit stupid, which kind of looking back, you go, why are you doing that? Because I would just have a mate or have a find a friend who just punched me in the face, just ask them to quite regularly where do you think that came from because it's it's clearly self-destructive isn't it and is it is it just that sense of not being not being enough maybe i don't know like what yeah i i don't i don't think i like myself that much it's there um but yeah, I, I don't like myself too much back then. And I think it was just a case of, right, I'm going to do this and let's say self-abuse in terms of uh, doing stupid things or wrestling, getting like um, getting kicked in the head and stuff and actually sort of taking it full on. Hmm. I don't know if it's trying to impress people with it, but yeah, I mellowed eventually. Yeah. Thankfully. Was there a turning point where that that will stop though was there a point where you think hang on this is fucking stupid possibly when I got a relationship fully I kind of had someone with me and that was grounded me a little bit and like made me think okay I do have someone now so move on to the next song I guess this is the next part of my story, as his hot chip and shake a fist. Rob, what is your history with hot chip? I have no history with hot chip. Disappointing, because I've got no idea what this song's about or what it sounds like. <laughs> I've never heard it before. 
even compiling this playlist, I avoided the song completely. Never heard Hot Chip before. <laughs> I've listened to it a couple of times. I really like it. It's cool. It's interesting. Okay. So, it's the soundtrack to myself meet my partner, Jane. And having a song I've never heard before and surprising me is an analogy for how we got together, really, because it just kind of happened. Um, I chose this band and song as a note. We started seeing each other officially. It was the same night she performed at an after party for Hot Chip launching this album, or the album this song was on. It was in a club here in London Bridge, so that's where this scene takes place. I've uh, been in a poker game with some mates and like left it to come see her here because the show finished late and I have to let her stay at my place because it was easier to get to than hers like one bus right away do you want to stay at mine yeah sure because we've known each other for a bit previously I'd seen her around the wrestling scene and I've spoken to her on MySpace a few times I thought she was cute had a great ass get my elbow chicken like always a winner but yeah it's just like a how are you doing and seeing if she likes to train with the company I was working with at the time they're after female wrestlers so it's an excuse to say hello that's pretty much what it was really it was like how you doing there's training school yeah cool toy match on TV that's good before we go any further I'd like to show you all a game I made up this game is called Sounds of the Studio you've definitely never heard this before <laughs> <laughs> that's good timing so then she came to the training school and turned out she was pretty local to that place so we chatted some more and grew from there I didn't push the data because I think by that point I've been poor dating a little bit I had two or three relationships get weird in the past couple of weeks uh, thankfully not my end this time it was pretty much uh, they went a bit odd and I just walked away from it that's progress though yeah okay cool walk away uh, but we become, become mates and more than mates eventually and that was pretty much it just grew into something it wasn't like a choir of angels moment for us we just grew closer together while talking and then all the things you see in sitcoms that are a big deal for relationships like leaving stuff over the house moving their toothbrush in and meeting their parents it just happened no fuss no long decisions just uh, do you want to move in? yeah sure with my folks cool I think their parents well, her parents had a little issue with me because they thought I was a wrong one but they got used to me yep been there <laughs> And as a relationship, though, there's been an occasional crossword, but after 16 years, we've grown closer and closer and been great together. I know it sounds underwhelming, but I don't think every romance is going to be Hollywood-worthy. I mean, we did the kissing in the rain thing once and just got wet, and it was uncomfortable afterwards because it was soggy. It's like, mm. But perfect um, relationships rarely are dramatic, though. It's kind of... Yeah. I, um... I knew me and Hazel were there for the long haul, and this is gonna this is gonna sound crazy, like, but we spent six weeks in Fiji with no money, and so all we had to do was sit on the beach, and that can be quite boring. But when you can just rub up along each other and be happy in each other's company with no other outside influence, apart from a tropical fucking island, obviously, um, you know you're onto something good. It's like not dramatic, no. and that sums up our, our relationship really. Um, we got hitched finally last year. 
she's adamant and saying it wasn't married with civil partnership. It was the least spectacular wedding ever. Good. Turned up in the clothes I'm pretty much wearing now. Good. Uh, cargo shorts, t-shirt, signed a bit of paper and that was it. So that was Hot Chip, Shake a Fist. Um, so interesting you're talking song. on, yeah, you're talking on that. So you've definitely never heard this track before it came on just then? Nope. Completely kind of, I say, we met at the, well, the night we finally got together was like at the after party for that show and it's like I've never heard a Hot Chip song before. That's the first time. Because I asked because you've chosen this song to sing track meeting your soulmate <laughs> the love of your life settling down and building something together and the first line of the song is I'm ready to try this that's pretty good but it's also got, also got shake a fist at the title I'm not sure what the song's about you're shaking your fist at the rest of the world because I'm ready to try this we're ready to do it fuck you all hmm. nothing's going to stop us nice I was like can't plan these things sometimes the, in a sentimental kind of mood, Duke Ellington and John Coltrane. So this is, I think, my 30s. As I was going into them, I quit wrestling after a decade of it. My body is in absolute bits at this point. The last match I had, where I had to work for real, was against my partner in a retirement match. And I was in agony for most of it. But I couldn't even do a forward roll at that point. My back was like fully inflamed. It's herniated disc in my back. And it's like, yeah, okay, I'm done. Uh, my last match for real was as an entirely new character called Odom Lion, who got kicked out of Mexico on allegations they couldn't prove. They could never prove them. But I can't go back to the country because of the warrants. Not a character I could do these days. But I did drink four cans of culling during the match and lost twice in three minutes. What were the allegations? <laughs> Can't say. Okay. <laughs> uh, as long as it wasn't nonsense. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Sorry. So afterwards, some multiple wrestlers come backstage. They were in attendance and they, they saw the match and said it was a fucking disgrace and embarrassment to define sport to wrestling. So I saw that as going out on a win. Fuck those guys. Honestly, a couple of years later, someone was doing the gimmick of drinking stuff in the ring and being an arse. It's like, yeah, I'm ahead of my time. After I started wrestling, though, after I stopped wrestling, I restarted my art stuff, which is something I hadn't done properly since school and got really into it again. Got a fair amount of commission work. Weirdly, as the stuff I did back then is nowhere near as good as my current stuff. I had, like, tons of jobs on, getting, like, hundreds of pounds for commissions. I don't get any of that these days. Plus, because I don't, didn't draw grot back then, but you know. There was a bit more money bait for art then as well. <laughs> yeah, that's people doing it, I guess. I don't know. I don't get it. it it's confusing me. Uh, I kept my head down at work, chilled out my days off, did a few comic conventions with the art stuff, made a few comics. Bit of an achievement. And it's like the family life at last me and Jane in a house and our two cats. And as Jane has always said, like, what sealed it all for her was my cats, you know. Come back to my house and see my kittens. Yes, that line works. Mainly if you've got cats, though. So. Um, 
And she met him for the first time she got back from the afterbite in the first night. And I think that sealed the deal. Because she fell in love with them before she fell in love with me. Something quite important in my life from my like late the mid twenties to my forties. Um they're like two tuxedo cats, brother and sister. Louis was a massive dickhead. Always insisting on sitting on any work you had going on and wanting cuddles when you got back from somewhere. Like two in the morning you'd be coming back from a nightclub and he'd be running down the road meowing his head off at full volume. Uh, jump on you and you'd have to carry him back to the house. And Rolls was this really chubby cat who when we first got it was like, oh, we think she might have been pregnant, but no, she's just fat. And she never lost her weight. But yeah, she had like a purr louder than a plane taking off. And she'd do it if you were in the same room as her and she was like just always happy. And if you delve deep, deep into my personal Instagram from the start, you'll see how important my cats are to me. That's pretty much all I post on it. And one other thing I have any... I don't think they had the emotional support license because um, I don't think they'd be too fussed about applying for the job. They didn't, they didn't like work. They were the ones I turned to to vent and talk about stuff. Um, I don't like to burden people with my problems, so I just talk to my cats, really. And they help with a lot of things just by being there. And there was a few times during this period I was pretty low. Uh, I couldn't do the thing I wanted to do anymore. I was often in a lot of pain from the sciatica or various other injuries I picked up on the job by uh, like wrestling just completely killed me for a couple of years uh, the job I had sucked and moving house is stressful and we did it like three times in the course of that time so when I needed to talk they were there to listen to me and they just purr along and when I finished they'd look at me like I was some dummy asking a cat for advice and give me the answer I needed which was I didn't need to worry about stupid things and they just needed me to go on doing what I do because they needed me because uh, we need, they need me to feed them, pretty much, you know, selfish git. But I think that having someone who needs you probably leveled me out and made me realise what was important. So yeah, because animals in the end always break your heart, and along with all the good times, and you'll see on the Instagram feed, probably the first place you'll see is the eulogies. Which, until I wrote this part of the podcast, was probably the worst thing I've ever had to write. Yeah, I've I've written this part several times and had to lessen the language in it because I just couldn't get through it. Yeah, I've had like relatives die recently, which my grief me had barely moved, but my cat's dying broke me. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And yeah, I've had to explain the motion support animals to people at work a few times now because it's a bigger thing now, and no one knows. No one's ever heard of them. One of those sort of people bring dogs into buildings and they've got a little card they show you or the, the dog's got a collar on and they don't get it. And But I understand why animals are important in life. Because they can help you get through shit. But yeah, the song. Um, I say, I um, in a sentimental kind of mood, uh, Duke Ellington, John Coltrane, and I've become a bit of a jazz wanker in recent years. Mostly as when getting to vinyl, there was a bunch of stuff on eBay which was going cheap, like loads of jazz albums. I thought, okay, I'll give that a go. And I've got to say that um, not all jazz is good. (laughs) 
even if you've got the most celebrated musicians on the horn, it it can be terrible. Uh, this album, though, is amazing. And I just remember, uh, I associate it with my cats because I remember playing it while waiting on the vets called me after Louis got ill the first time. And it was like the last time he went in, it was like this was playing. And as always, when I was down, Ross was sat next to me purring a heart out and it was just, yeah. Yeah, it's tough, man. Mm. It's tough. They're as good as your family, so mm. you're allowed, you're allowed to yeah, I, I treat them as such and grieve them as such, you know? Yeah, I, I kind of had to think I've never wanted kids because, yeah, I don't really want that responsibility. <laughs> I said I don't like kids. I've never been a fan of them. Other people can have them. Great. Just look after them. Brilliant. Just keep them over there. I'm kidding. Some kids are great. But yeah, um, never wanted kids. So oh, they're my furry babies. And now I've got like Woody and Buzz who are dickheads in our own right. Um, was there a space between losing the cats and getting Woody and Buzz? Yeah, that comes up in the next one. That's oh, where we go. I'm the highway audio slave. I might go here for very different reasons, but I, this is like the final straight of my life. Really, this is where I become the person I am today. Um, I've hit me forties, and we've taken time to grieve our losses, uh, taken a long holiday, uh, fixed the house a bit because you don't want like cats running around the house when you're having an entire extension built. And yeah, it's taken some time, but then we've adopted two new cats, Woody and Buzz because the dog don't shop I don't know five years old when we got them so they're kind of fully grown cats who needed a place to stay you should always you know look out for those ones that are unwanted everyone wants the kittens and the young ones but yeah these ones took a while to get a new home so we took them in so dickheads in their own right you'll probably hear Woody at some point because it's nearly dinner time uh, Jane at this point in time is busy with a new wrestling project Got the woman's wrestling company going. It's all going well. I'm helping out doing a bunch of video editing and production stuff for it. Uh, stuff I've wanted to do for a long time. It's an extension of the comic books, creating stuff, telling stories. Uh, it's linked to a few side projects, like short films possibly. Point out like budgeting stuff and scouting locations. Okay, I can do this. Uh, sacked off my shitty job finally. Working a part-time schedule. It's not great work, but I don't have to do much of it, and it pays the bills, keeps me booze and second down DVDs. Nice balance of work, hobbies, and relaxation. And then the world ends. Sadly, not for real, but we have a pandemic, and all plans and projects hit the skids. And during the time, we're like, fortunate enough to be able to pay our bills because we're essential workers. Uh, we're fine if we learn to bake bread, stay at home, wash our hands, wear a mask stay safe whatever the government didn't do we did and then oh, British Wrestling has a time's up me too moment and all heck breaks this online and in the group chats lots of stories to tell in this bit none of mine to tell which I won't go into but yeah it's a big thing and Jane's involved with it and I'm associated with it 
back to the point of my last two paying art commissions I did were for two people who have been accused of some shit during it. So with the world as it was, uh, like people dying on a daily basis at uh, Jane's workplace and having a bunch of shit to deal with in general, it was time to say goodbye to wrestling completely and just um, the way it was, which pretty much threw it in the bin. And nuked everything online to do with it. Delete all social media accounts. Um, aside from my Instagram personal one, but I deleted loads of people on that, so it was like all hidden. And neither of us ever looked back on it. And it's like 20 years of your life flushed. And I kept in touch with a few people, but not many. But yeah, it's like 20 years of your life, let's say, just yeah, dumb. Uh, took a few months offline. Uh, took time to meditate and discover stuff about myself. Uh, it's great not having social media or having an online presence. Sadly, you can't do it if you're doing podcasts and creative stuff. But I would have, I would have stayed offline all the time. I mean, Jane has not gone back online at all in that period. She's like pretty much not found online anywhere. Um, so yeah, during this time, it's like figuring out how I've been suffering from depression major anxiety issues possible ADHD all this stuff I hate to say I definitely have because self-diagnosis is the worst but when you see the things online where it's like do you have ADHD and tick these boxes if these are the symptoms like okay yep 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 could be an issue end up treating with uh, CBD which I originally got into to help with pain relief and I still get like anxiety and depression occasionally but very rarely now um, having greater kind of feeling of who I am kind of thing so it's I don't know when it's happening so I just chill out is it a bit of a leveling of the roller coaster? hmm only the internal one like uh, slowly as it's happening it's like I, I kind of trying to figure out where I was going to go and I ended up creating that African guy not a totally new person, but a newer version of me. One that had an easier going attitude to life. Um, a, a stoic kind of outlook where it's like you can't control what's going on, so why try to fight it? Concentrate on what we can fix. And then two and a bit years I've been him, I thought more out content-wise than I've ever done previously. Uh, a lot more challenging work, a lot more creative work. This podcast being an example of like... Um, Especially if you listen to the older podcast, it's like the growth through it has gone from me being a background character, pushing myself forward and doing a lot more stuff. And just along with that, there was like just one more issue I think I had, which was um, it's like alcohol abuse. Um, the self abuse you can write off as having a good time. You know, the drinking is not a problem. It's definitely not a problem. Uh, definitely, definitely not a problem until you start editing shows and noticing you have like slurred speech a lot more and then having memory issues like yeah that's not a problem no and you kind of realize you have to quit lying to yourself before you can quit anything else drinking wise i think in the year my cats are real when like losing them i was on one or two bottles of whiskey a week and I stack a beer alongside mm. that so Compared to some alcoholics, I'm a lightweight, but that's not a competition you should really be proud of winning. So with some help from some friends, I quit drinking. Thankfully, it wasn't like a really difficult thing. Occasionally, I still get cravings for it, but 
since then like memory issues have cleared up um hopefully i've not slurred as much uh creatively i've been putting out a shit ton of stuff like i said um no my only vices really are caffeine and donuts which i don't mind having really on the cravings for the alcohol is that do you think that is like physical addiction for alcohol or is it like for me with smoking i gave up smoking like five years ago and i've got no desire to smoke a cigarette again Mm. but i would happily sit here and roll 20 fags sorry 20 cigarettes for someone else like i miss that rolling a cigarette ritual so is there is do you think it's something like that that the cravings come from rather than i need to have the alcohol i back then it was just the case of i'm gonna get a drink and like I'll just have one, and then you have two, and then you're doing home measures, and it just it comes naturally. It's just autopilot drinking. Yeah, and occasionally you get it. I go to the supermarket and be like walking down the alcohol aisle, and it's like sometimes I get no feelings whatsoever, and I'm going, it's like, oh, I kind of fancy a cider. And it's like type of weather, uh, just watching certain TV shows. I think there's a certain craving there at the back of my mind, but it's like, it's like, no, don't do it. It's what I've done recently is like shown it's a good thing. And there's a whole um, uh, book I read about it was something about you thinking you need to drink to be the life of the party and you drink so much that you forget why you were the life of the party. Mm-hmm. Whereas you could be the life of the party and stone cold sober and you'll remember everything and it'll be like a great event. Yeah, and like the party if, just needs to be better, doesn't it? Yeah, and if, if the party's not great, then you don't have to be there. Mm-hmm. So this song is uh, it's about changing moving on from a relationship and it's not a relationship with someone it's a relationship with myself I feel happy with who I am and what I'm doing and so that if can go is like a persona I created which I've eventually grown into as opposed to what I was and it's like yeah I, I enjoy this person more well I enjoy him very much too I think he's I think he's a fucking mega star so there you go yeah, it's weird. When I was 21, I made a stupid pack myself about if by 20, 42 I hadn't made something of myself or had someone to rely on me that I'd check out of life. Not in a sad way, but like, okay, I gave it a shot and didn't work. Time to free up some space to someone else. It's like, you know, doing nothing, you don't want to rely on you. And I didn't feel like when I actually reached that age, but I did have to kill myself in a figurative way to find a better version of me. I think that's like reinvention and sort of going, I guess what you said, beginning of this recording or before the recording is only about killing a show off to do something bigger and better hmm. and it's worth doing it like taking yes, your big it, leap it's it's worth ta- it's worth taking the risk hmm. even if it even if it doesn't work out you've taken that leap and you've gone for it and it should be applauded yeah hopefully the listeners agree they fucking should or I'll hunt them all day <laughs> Both of them. I guess it's time for the finale. Bring us home. This is Tom McRae walking to Hawaii. Forgot how much I love this song. No surprise if you listened to my last podcast and uh, what you said at the start, but yeah, I have like a bit of an obsession with like big world ending events. Um, so nukes or a meteor or some global catastrophe takes us all out you know that's how I want to go out um, 
whole world being snuffed in an instant but with the caveat of there being a decent amount of warning before it happens so you can all prepare yourself say goodbyes apologize to the people you wronged or you know finding someone you hadn't spoken to in years and saying how you doing um how you holding up anything like that and then for me it'd be like just grabbing a coffee hopefully a donut crossed down donuts the best going for a sponsorship there uh, retiring to the conservatory in the house with Jane and the cats and just watching the show I think I like the choice of taking it out of my hands because I don't really want to leave the planet I can do some good on it and like the random option is there as well it's like it can happen anytime so make the most of life while you can and yeah this song um, I think out of all the songs this is the one that's most on the nose because it is exactly about that if you find the goal of your dreams and heading out to a beach to watch the missiles fly as the world nukes itself just waiting for the end of the world get to that point where you've got everything you need and everyone's with you that matters and you think it'll be frantic but it's not and it's actually quite peaceful because you're happy super successful I'm just enjoying the life I've got having fun just doing dumb podcasts doodling mostly butts all of which you can find at tellpoldzone.com I guess we should wrap up the show uh, that has been um no one know what people have to go through when they do the show thank you for helping me this week that's alright anytime and you'll be on the next show telling your story which is available now on this feed <laughs>